Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host, who I think is still in mourning, is Robbie Dowling. I'm, I'm out of mourning. I spent Sunday morning, the better part of Monday morning, morning, <laughs> and I think I'm back to normal. Uh, it was bad for a little bit. Though. It was we'll Sunday. It. I had this serious sads uh, pretty much all day long, and... What we do when we have a loss like this is we like to drink through it. So, Robbie, I want you to give us a cheers and brighten our spirits a little. I'll give you a cheers. And this one will be, a, uh, I wouldn't say more meaningful, but more descriptive of what's going to happen today. I went through, I had, I had a bad, bad experience after the, the Saturday game. I, I went through, it happens once a season where I just get really, really pissed off about a loss. It happened earlier in the season than I expected this year, but I got it out of the way. And that's a good thing because Sunday I went through my morning and now on this episode, it's Tuesday night. We're, we're recording. We're going to be positive here. We're going to be realistic, which I think everybody wants to hear, but we're not going to be Debbie Downer. We're going to be positive and figure out what the path forward here is. That's what our players are doing. That's what our coaches are doing, and we're going to try and find a way, path forward to win here. So that's the cheers. It's being positive, trying to figure out what's going on with this team and how we can get better. I like it. Cheers. Woo! Yeah. So it's officially fall, and it's just about October, and for most of us, that means we are going to enjoy some pumpkin beers. So today we're going to do a pumpkin beer pit preview for those of you that like alliteration. And <laughs> we're going to – we have a handful of pumpkin beers that we're going to go through here. And a lot of guys don't like to admit they like pumpkin beers because they're kind of sweet and maybe it's thought of to be girly. But I know I enjoy pumpkin beer and there's so many of them. Every brewery makes what seems like way too many. But – and no offense to that half of a woman that's actually listening to this podcast, because I think yeah, there may be one or maybe <laughs> True. two or three. It depends. So, uh, But the fact is, I, I love pumpkin beer. I don't tell my wife that because she would make fun of me. I've been denying it for so long at this point that I got to keep the rue you know, up and just <laughs> the story going. It's good. Well, also, since we lost... You know, not that we're by any means broken. I liked what Robbie had to say in the cheers, but we're going to try to take a little bit more relaxed approach. We're actually recording this from my bachelor pad as opposed to Robbie's married man's apartment, which is nicely furnished. There's absolutely nothing in the fridge here other than beer and maybe a half gallon of milk. The only difference is you don't get to hear my dog like chirp up every 30 minutes in the background. Or, so, so that's nice. <laughs> we're going to do so, just, you know, kick off your shoes. Smoke a J, maybe pop a Zanny, because <laughs> this is the podcast equ equivalent of uh, Netflix and chill. That's what we're going to do tonight. We have some news and notes before we jump into the tragedy that was the ECU game. And first up, it looks like Shy is going to redshirt, which I'm not s surprised, but I'm a little sad that he's not all the way back and that knee's not all the way healthy. It helps that... We are not hurting at running back. We have three healthy guys that seem to all be doing decent. And I think we're going to have some thoughts on the running back situation throughout I this. Will. But I, I think we, we're we solid. The, maybe the performance isn't there, but I think we have the depth there that he can redshirt yeah, and, and not you feel know bad that, about it. 
I love Shy, and it's it's a tough injury to come back from so quickly. So hopefully he gets right, and next year he's one hundred percent because we'll need him. A maybe more important injury, actually, definitely a more important injury, is the news that Kendall won't play for Pitt, and that he might be having or has already had surgery on his knee that's been bothering him. This is just very recent news. Um, I just saw it, and I don't know how serious the surgery is or will be, but we all hope that he's not going to miss a significant portion of the season because our defense, with the way it's been playing, definitely needs him. And I think we we both hope he just gets better. At the end of the day, his his draft prospects, his future are very, very bright. We want to see him healthy as much as we want to see Virginia Tech players do well in school. We also want to make sure that they do well, you know, beyond school. And he has a super, super bright future. He definitely does. And hopefully he doesn't miss a significant portion of the season. I hope to see him back soon. The other news was that uh, Sean Huselkamp, who was penalized for a targeting call, is now going to have to sit out the first half of the pit game. He's our... Our new middle linebacker who was starting in place of Motua Puaka, who's out with a little bit of an injury, he's a little banged up. So it's going to seemingly it would be Leiden, Carson Leiden, to start our true freshman, but now they're saying Moto might return. So kind of have to see how that shakes out. I'm I imagine out it's got to be it's got to be Moto coming back when that we're, we'll get into the targeting later, but more f bombs were dropped dropped at front pay or at a first down sports bar. I think on Saturday when that happened, I I may have offended probably at least six people uh, that were sitting next to me. I think the rest of the the bar was also yelling the same profanities. That was complete horseshit. It, it seemed like BS to me. So big announcement here for you, Pete. I know we discussed many of a time my notebook. Uh, it would. Most would relate it to many pages of <laughs> scribbled notes. <laughs> a beautiful mind is what it looked like when I would take notes on games, the recap, the preview, the lines. It was a jumbled mess in my notebook. I'd be scribbling stuff at the you know at the bar watching the game. It was a it was a mess. I've moved over to it's called Evernote, and it's electronic, so I can actually organize my stuff. I mean, I I'm think impressed. this is going to help me. You're on the cutting edge right now. I'm still in the dark ages with some handwritten notes over here. With that, let's let's kick off this this recap. Yeah, I kind of divided my ECU game stuff into good and bad because there was some small amount of good and a large amount of bad. Uh, and we're going to start with the good. Initially, I felt like the D was very aggressive. We got those two quick turnovers. And were able to capitalize on them like right off the bat. So that was awesome. Kemp was a little sloppy in the beginning as well. That helped us out. He had the fumble immediately after the fumble. Stroman had the interception on second down. And then you had the tip later that, you know, it led to another interception. So, but we were much more aggressive, I think, early on. And that was possible. Yeah, Canham got in there on that one that Mook ended up catching and taking uh, close to the goal line. Um and then also I thought Adonis looked really good. Again, he forced a fumble. He had nine tackles. Huselkamp, who we mentioned a little bit ago, he appeared to have a solid game. I know there's defensive guys in our defense kind of struggled in this game, but he had three tackles, three and a half tackles for a loss and ten tackles overall. Huselkamp has been really, really productive. He's 
I think he's missed some plays, but overall, he had five solo tackles, five assisted tackles, a sack, three and a half tackles for a loss in that game, and he went out what? I guess it would have been right in the the uh, fourth quarter. So he didn't finish the game. There wasn't much going on after the – but he still had a really nice performance. He had performance. a nice game, and yeah, it was his second start, and he he – definitely showed me something more than Motu Puaka, who started half the games last year when Chase Williams got hurt and already had a couple of chances to start this year. Hughes camp showed what he can do like pretty much right off the bat here. So that was pretty great. Another awesome play, which I don't think could ever be duplicated was the AJ Hughes botch snap recovery punt. It was amazing. You know it's good when Deadspin, who was ripping Bud Foster earlier this year uh, about the comments that he made, uh, you know, when we talked about penalizing players, he, they put up the, the the post, I think it was one of the first people to put it up there, Sports Center soon followed, about the A.J. Hughes being cool as a cucumber running into the backfield. Granted, I'm not sure he didn't. Uh, make the wrong decision there and not just kicking it out for the safety. But that was incredible. That was one heck of a boot, like in the clutch when the the guys, the gunners are like bearing down on you. I, w- I was amazed by that play. I couldn't believe how far he got it from the end zone while picking it up like that. And you're right. Like that probably wasn't the smartest decision. Definitely wasn't the smartest decision, but it worked out. Uh, Motley looked good again. 366 total yards, 85 of it rushing, and two TDs, one rushing and one passing. It's been great to see what he can do uh, in these first few games as the starter. I'm not sure I've ever seen a starter come in in his first few starts and play like this. I I was listening to French talk about it earlier, literally on the drive home from work today, and I thought he had an interesting way of characterizing it that I don't know if I 100% agree with, which was... He's not going to make all of the passes that you want him to make. He's going to be kind of a a decent quarterback, I guess is is the best way to characterize it. But he is a serviceable quarterback. And I would take it a little bit further than that yeah, because so I. I think he is his passes actually on really tough balls have been great this year that he's been in the games whether it was Purdue, he's made some passes and in this game he made a couple passes. Yes, did he overthrow the ball by probably 10 yards on that pass to Rodgers when he had him? Yeah, oh my gosh, that was a touchdown. Yes, so I I understand the concept of taking the good with the bad there, but what he does in with his feet I think is really impressive. And I know a lot of people went after you know, the game plan that we put in place with Loeffler when he... You know, you Motley rushed, and we had talked about that. We, we had said, or at least I I remember, I I specifically mentioned based on what Navy did, I wouldn't be shocked to see Motley run the ball a ton in this game. Well, how about when it's raining? Because guess what, you're going to do that even more if you if you're worried about the handoffs with your kind of you know a fresh quarterback that isn't used to his running backs and by the way you're rotating running backs every couple plays will get to this and so your mesh port changes height difference everything changes for you i think it's better to have him rush it i get it the injury he makes him more injury prone we need to keep him around but if i think it was working, the right decision if it's working let him run i mean i i know people are complaining a little bit about it but it was 
that was the most effective, consistent, effective play we had all day was Motley like on his feet. Right. Here's the realistic portion. Yes, if he got injured during those runs, would be sitting here right now and being like, man, he shouldn't have been running so much. Probably. But the fact was it was working. Motley knows that if he has to run, he'll continue to run. And in the rain and the sloppy weather that happened in from the second quarter on, that was probably your best move. Because you know what? There was another player on the other side of the ball. Yeah, I think it worked for them. <laughs> uh, sloppy conditions, things are breaking down, and he was taken off. And ECU noticed that as the weather got worse throughout the game. And Kemp came out, and Summers came in. And I guess we should do the bad now. And the bad was... 169 yards rushing for Summers, most of it coming in that second half. Just brutal to watch. Like watching your team get taken to the cleaners by a running quarterback, particularly when it scrambles and not designed runs, might be the most brutal brutal form of football to watch. It was so rough and so painful. Um, well, we're gonna we're gonna elevate it back up, but not right now because this deserves to be. In the third quarter, I there was I had to bait myself to rewatch the game because I wanted to rewatch the game. So I went and bought like a bunch of I'm not even don't even like candy, but it was a Sunday, so I bought like a bunch of candy and a Powerade to convince myself to watch the ECU game on Sunday. And I was doing fine. I knew it was going to happen. Then I hit the third quarter, and it was about halfway through the third quarter, towards the end, that Chuck Clark got completely juked by Summers right up the middle. Then Akanum wrapped him up, oh, and he got thrown to the ground by Summers, and he ran 41 yards for the touchdown. This to, was to make it ECU 35, Virginia Tech 21. And that was the backbreaker. It really was. I was hurting when that happened. That was the rewatch that I hurt. Like I, I just couldn't believe how bad they both – and those are two – Great football players, and they both got burned. And it, you know, they were having a hard time wrapping up. Maybe it was slippery, whatever. But you know what? We've had a hard time wrapping up quarterbacks all season. What I mean, whether it's Cardale, whether it was Appleby in a few instances, you know, it's just been an ongoing problem. It's like bring him down. What is the problem? Wrap him up, take him to the ground, and it's it was really frustrating to see. The other super frustrating thing was, again, the penalties. This game a little bit different than the others in that this officiating crew was so awful. Uh, both sides of the ball, both teams suffered like really poor calls. You know, I, And we weren't alone. I felt like we took the brunt of it because we took some really tough calls early, particularly the pass interference call on Chuck Clark, which I don't know if I've seen a worse call. It, it it could be the worst pass interference call I've ever seen in my life because he didn't. If he tapped him on the hand, that like that, I would be shocked. That's there was no contact. I go with Bud Foster. Bud Foster thinks it's one of the worst calls ever. After that was Bud Foster's come out and said it was bad after reviewing the tape. The fact is, we lost the game. We're not going to play this like whole. But the officiating was horrific. It was so bad. It was really really bad and you had it in a couple different places to your point there was the push off isaiah ford down the right right side late in the game we got a 60 yard pass let's be honest here 
a push push offs happen all the time in football and sometimes you get called and sometimes you don't and it was a a little bit bigger push off than you would most normally see getting away with we're talking about two two of the worst calls that I've ever seen that pass interference call the next play was a touchdown exactly and it was third down we it would have been our ball or a field goal attempt or something right and then the targeting which the the worry that I have was Hules Camp as a player early on made a great form tackle and it comes back to bite him. So is he going to be hesitant the next time? I hope the coaches are telling him you did nothing wrong. That was a horrific call as well. So, and we lost him, you know, at the end. And of that the was game. later in the game. My issue was more that some of the calls that went against us tended to be earlier in the game. And in any football game, there's always a flow. There's always a momentum and calls that happen early on in the game are exponentially worse than calls that happen late. And that PI call, that changed the game undeniably. And it was such a bad call and should have never existed. And I'm not saying we would have won if it didn't happen, but it would have been a much different game. The Hodges touchdown that got called back for, it was was legal formation and it was legitimate. Andy Bitter posted the picture of it and it took back a touchdown Uh, and it was a great pass. It was a great play and we can't have that. That would have also changed the game, but that was uh, the fault of our own. And I think that's the way we could summarize And there's been a bunch of those in the last three games too. And it's just... Sure, there were some bad calls, but we're still making way too many mistakes execution-wise, and we can't have it. The running back rotation. It's too many guys. I I know we've talked about it before. I know it's like our thing for the last three years about too many guys in the running back rotation, but it's true. In college football, you're supposed to have your best guys carrying the ball the most amount of times, and we seem to be content with this merry-go-round carousel just giving everybody five to ten carries. And this game might not be the best example because it was a pretty good example. We didn't, we didn't run sc- a lot. I screamed at the TV, even as bad as it was. I This was one of the moments that I think I may have almost gotten thrown out of first down sports bar was McMillan had five rushes for 30 yards, right? Not a lot of rushes. That's six yards a and carry. And they were mainly jet sweeps. Right. But he does well in the jet sweeps, and that's the difference. He does really well. Why we keep running Coleman up the center on the inside zone, I don't really understand, or in the inside power. He had seven rushes for 13 yards. I wrote in when I was watching the game in the first quarter, Coleman doesn't look like he can get more than two to three yards per play period like it never looks like he's actually he's always scouting and he's moving east west on every single play he's never moving you know south to north or north south however you want to characterize it and i think mcmillan is the guy i'd love him to see more carries i don't understand how coleman gets more rushes than mcmillan does in this game with the production he was having, regardless of whether it was a jet sweep or not. Right. And you want to say, oh, McMillan, you know, that's because he was getting on jet sweeps and whatever. You know, we know what JC and Trey can do on the end. They can't do that well inside either. And maybe the unknown in McMillan would be way better. We had, we had JC Coleman in jet sweeps against the, on the Purdue game. He was in that role, and, and he still did the same thing where he shucks and jives right near after on the jet sweep and doesn't go forward. And don't get us wrong. like We like JC, and he does an okay job. 
it's the upside of McMillan and what he could do. He seems to always break tackles. He's faster. He seems to have a little bit better vision. Give him the ball and let Trey and JC be, you know, guys that spell him, but let, let this young guy carry the football and see what he can do. I, I'm so tired of the running back rotation. And since David Wilson left, that's all we've gotten. And it's been really painful to watch. I, I'm not a firm believer that you have to have a single back just leading all the carries and getting 16, 17 a game and then somebody else spelling him for seven, right? Or even less than that. That's not the point. The point is, is we have an equal rotation between three running backs right now again after we thought it wasn't going to happen. This is what happened last year. And it happened the year before, and we thought we were getting away from that. So I'd love to see progress and get away from it and let a guy, even if he's getting knocked around and not getting yardage, just give him time to build his skills. You can tell we're getting a little hot. (laughs) The last thing I just have to mention is that we just cannot contain running quarterbacks. We saw it against Ohio State. We saw it here. We saw it a little bit against Appleby. Uh, it's It's a problem. And... Going to Pitt, we're going to talk about it. Could it could be an issue again? Before we get into Pitt, I think it's necessary to do the beer break. Robbie, what are you drinking? Well, let's hold off with what I'm drinking and get into uh, my theory on pumpkin beers. Just oh, in general, are you ready for this? Uh, I hope so. We're like basic bitches, right? Pumpkin spice lattes are the equivalent of pumpkin beers. I feel like when you go go to that direction, you just have to own it. So it's not a bad thing necessarily, but when you go pumpkin beers, you have to own it like they're the best things in the world. Similar to you go to Starbucks, pumpkin spice latte, it's the best thing ever. If I'm having one, I'm going to make sure I enjoy it. So I, I kind of know where you're coming from. So what pumpkin beer are you drinking? Uh, this is the Shipyard uh, Pumpkin Head. It's good. It's obviously got a. It's a little bit milder pumpkin flavor, but overall, I like it. It's a little lighter on the uh, alcohol content, which is probably good uh, today. So I like it. Yeah, I've had the Shipyard Pumpkin Head several times, and I definitely like the spiciness it has. And you're right; it's not overwhelmingly pumpkin. I am drinking. A beer called Spooky, stupidest name ever, by Blue Mountain Barrel House. It's out of Nelson County, Virginia. And it's 8.2% alcohol, and you can definitely kind of taste that. It's got kind of like a cocoa situation going on. It's got uh, kind of a more bourbony flavor, like a cocoa bourbon pumpkin flavor. It's weird. It's a weird flavor. And it definitely tastes like there's a lot of alcohol in it. And uh, I'm going to just get through it. It's not my favorite by any stretch. Well, we came to the honest truth there. It's got a stupid-looking ghost on the label, but whatever. Speaking of stupid mascots, (laughs) let's talk about those Pitt Panthers. We're familiar with Pitt from our Big East days, so we don't need a big introduction on what they're all about. We're one in five against them since 2001, and our lone win was in 2013, and we beat them at home. They have a new head coach this year, Pat Narduzzi. He was the former Michigan State defensive coordinator, and most people are familiar with him and his defense. At Michigan State, had a lot of a lot of good years. Pitt was six and seven last year, but lost a bunch of close games. 
and they are currently two and one this year. And probably the biggest loss for them coming into the season, and it really wasn't coming into the season, it happened this year, was James Conner going down with a torn MCL, and he's done for the year, and he was their all-ACC running back and just kind of a superhuman that I'm very glad we won't have to face. But I think we're going to start with their defense because that's Narduzzi's side of the ball. He's an animal. I Their defense is... I think really strong. I went back. I watched the Iowa game that they played. They held a really powerful Iowa offense, and there were a lot of passing plays, but towards the third and fourth quarter of that game, Iowa was just running it up the gut, and they were moving that defensive line back a few yards, but still getting held. And let me tell you, that Iowa that Iowa offense was running in a way that Virginia Tech can't produce right now, and their defense really held up to it. And I, I would respect that. Pat Narduzzi is a genius. He, in a lot of ways, uh, he likes to mix it up on the line of scrimmage. He likes to, you know, play some stunts and kind of mix things up and move people around to to shake up the offensive line. I think they have a really talented defense and one that Virginia Tech's going to have to perform really well against to to make something happen there. Yeah, I think this defense is overall, it's very solid. And particularly, like you said, they're good against the run. They're 15th nationally against the run, giving up three and a third yards per carry. And they've got some tough defensive tackles and some good defensive ends that already have a handful of uh, tackles for loss on the season. I think they have kind of an iffy pass rush, and that might be an area that would help us out, and especially since Motley's showing a penchant for throwing the ball well. I think but, their best their best players are probably their linebackers, I would, yeah, I would say. Their front seven is solid, and from the linebackers in yeah, particular. Galambos is kind of a bigger dude. He's their Mike linebacker. Uh, Grisby is a linebacker. Both of them are up there in the top four in solo tackles, tackles for a loss. They're, they're good. The, the biggest player for them, I think, comes down to Jordan Whitehead, who's a true freshman. Uh, he's really high recruited. He's a sa- got recruited as a safety he already has 14 solo tackles, 10 assists. He plays right now as a cornerback. He's a really, really solid cornerback. Yeah, he's one of their top tacklers for sure. Absolutely. absolutely. Their two top tacklers are both defensive backs in Whitehead and Maddox, neither one of which has a ton of experience. Yep. And their top cover guy is Lafayette Pitts, and they have solid safeties, but Webb has been out, so they've been playing some younger guys at safety too. But their DBs in general are... It's a solid group. There's no doubt about it. They, they're they short tacklers, and that's what an Arduzzi defense is all about, putting pressure, bringing their DBs up against the run. So it's not unusual to see. I will say they only have one pick this year, but they're still a solid group overall. That's that's where I was going to go. I think they're – and it's a little bit, little bit different but related. I think the one place that I saw some exposure in that Iowa game was in underneath routes. Uh, the places that we usually put Malik in, catching those slants uh, on short routes uh, up the middle or at least closing in on the middle. I thought that Iowa gave up a ton of those in, in that game. So I think that's one area that we might be able to pick on them using Bucky, using Malik, that might be helpful to us. All in all, I, I don't have a ton to say about this defense. 
it reminds me a lot of the ECU defense in strengths. Now, ECU plays a 3-4, and Pitt plays a 4-3, but just in the terms of the strength of their front sevens, I think they're very similar, and they do similar things well. As you said, I think this could be a big game for our tight ends. We've said that in other games, but Bucky and Malik, there are mismatches to be had. Their defense is built to stop the run. That's what it basically looks like. And if you were able to expose some of their linebackers in coverage, I think we could do some things. I think Isaiah Ford's always going to have a a big game. I I haven't seen a mismatch yet that he hasn't been able to overcome and been able to catch balls on. So I think he'll be fine. So that's why I come back to the tight ends. Bucky is chomping at the bit to be productive for this offense. Malik has been in underneath routes and slants, and I think they'll do that in in this game plan. I think our passing game is going to be fine. I'm not really sure what to see in our running game. That's really where the question lies is what's going to happen there. Yeah, and I don't know because I thought Motley would run more, and I was correct in the ECU game. In this game, I'm not sure those opportunities are going to be there. And it could be difficult to establish the run on this defense, to say the least. Like, they, they are m- making it their thing to stop the run. The good news is I think Motley will have time to get it to Ford and Cam because regardless of who they go up against, we've seen them get open. Yep. And if Bucky and Malik can do what me and Robbie both think and get open on some of these linebacker coverages or even they're bringing the safeties down to cover them, I think we'll be able to move the ball through the air in this game. Before we get into the scarier side of the ball for Pitt, at least for me anyway, I think you should talk about what you're drinking because we are going through beer on this episode. Robbie, what are you drinking? Uh, rapidly, we're going through it. It's all your fault. Uh, the Pumpkin, it's a Southern Tier beer, Southern Tier Brewing Company. I love some of their beers, and this one is no different. It's delicious. It's, it's got a little kick to it. Uh, I think it's 8.6 by volume, so it's got a little ass to it. But it is a great pumpkin beer. It's really, really strong pumpkin-y. I think the shipyard was a little bit lighter, which was nice if you're not into the intense kind of flavor of it. This had a, a bunch of punch to it. It's an imperial, and I think it's delicious. I also had a little bit of the spooky as well. I also think it's a really dumb name. But, you know, at the end of the day, it didn't really taste like a pumpkin beer. It's not one of those ones that you want to be having late September or early October. Uh, you know, but it was it was all right. At least it's from Virginia, right? You got yeah, that the going pumpkin for is like what most people consider the best pumpkin beer out there. I tend to think it's a little too sweet, even for pumpkin beer, a little too uh, pumpkin-y. I don't know, for <laughs> lack of a better term. The pit offense is what we're going to talk about next, and this is something that has gotten the best of us the last couple of years in weird ways. It's not like there are some offensive juggernaut like Baylor or TCU, but for against us, they seem to always have their best game, similar to ECU again, as I said about their defense. But no, they always seem to get up for the tech games and – to say the least, their offense has been rough this year. They're 109th in total offense. 
They're 64th in scoring. They have had a hard time passing the football and not a much better luck rushing. But you know they're going to do better against us. Like I just know it. Like I'm just kind of going to throw all those numbers I just recited out the window because they're going to do something weird. They're going to play solid defense, and they're going to keep it close against us the whole time. At quarterback, that's where it all starts. We're kind of having trouble right now. We're not going down the same rabbit trail that we did last time with ECU. We're going to hopefully prepare for both because Nate Peterbin has been announced the starting quarterback. I think that is uh, widely known. He's a junior graduate transfer. He went to Tennessee. He's got two years eligibility left. He can actually extend plays a little bit outside the pocket, but he's not their running presence whatsoever. Obviously, it's Wojtek, uh, who most people would remember from last year, ran all over Virginia Tech. His ball security early on and in some of the games that he's played hasn't been great. But, you know, he's had some interceptions. But he's actually a, a pretty solid quarterback, and his... Uh, timing that he's lined up with Tyler Boyd on like three to five yard hitches, 10 yard slants, crossing routes, curl routes. He, he ran all over Iowa with, with Tyler Boyd, not running, obviously passing. They killed Iowa towards the end of that game. Obviously they ended up losing, but it was just, you know, swing passes, comeback routes. He actually has his timing down with Tyler Boyd. Who else he has his timing down with, I'm not really sure. He hit a couple of their great tight ends. They have J.P. Holtz, who's a big guy, 250 pounds. Uh, Orndorff, I think, had a, a touchdown. So I think him as a quarterback is uh, a little bit frightening for us, especially in our lack of depth right now and what we're dealing with uh, in the quarterback situation. But Voitek's even more scary if they bring him in, right? That's what I'm worrying about, and especially since they have all this fresh tape from the ECU game. As a team, the Tech defense is now giving up five and a half yards per carry against the run. And most of that is due to people like Cardell Jones and Summers from the last game just running when the play breaks down or not even when the play breaks down, when it's just a designed run. And last year... Voitek ran for 118 yards against us. Voitek is what I'm worried about. He's barely played this year, like seriously, barely at all. And last year he was their guy. I mean, he was at the end of the year, he was completing like 60% of his passes had shown a lot of improvement. And Peterman has come in this year and taken the job from him. And like you said, he's played the majority of the last two games. Peterman's completing 66% of his passes he played really well against Iowa after he threw two early picks. He recovered from that, shook it off. I like. I just don't know what we're going to see. I, I'm. I'm. I have scared. no idea. I'm scared in a lot of different ways, and it's a little bit because of the ECU game. But everybody should be scared of Tyler Boyd. There were points in that game that I watched in Iowa that everybody knew where the ball was going, but you just could not stop it, no matter what. Tyler Boyd is so talented. We all know it, obviously. He, but going on, so their tight ends are good, and their their running back situation I think is the only place that gives us a, maybe a little bit of advantage. Uh, people are talking about Olison, obviously, and Hall. 
Olsen had 305 yards on the year, but he had 206 against Youngtown States. Yeah, exactly. But, and I also I feel like this is the same type of running back situation we've seen in the last two games. The two guys from Purdue, Harrison from ECU, these guys, they're all average. They're just guys, you know, they're probably they've got some upside and these guys are young. Like Darren Hall's a freshman, Quadre Olsen's a true freshman. But I'm not sure they're going to produce in the offense that they're working with as it is. I mean, James Conner was a man possessed in this offense, but they have struggled to find someone to replace him, especially since they lost their primary backup, uh, Rashid Ibrahim, if I'm pronouncing Mm -hmm. that correct. He tore his Achilles. So they're basically on their third and fourth running backs. Again, I'm not worried about the running backs. It's a pass and it's a run it's the running quarterback and it's the pass uh, of the passing quarterback it's which, boyd he's got 21 receptions in two games he had 10 against iowa for 131 he's a monster we have to make sure we neutralize him i don't care who? about darren Hall because you were gonna neutralize him with fuller is always the game plan that's what's gonna concern i think everybody going but his face this game. on chop liver like can he not he's not chop liver but he's He's not Fuller because he's not. <laughs> and maybe because of the fact that that was such a game time decision hurt us against ECU. Maybe if we had gone in knowing Fuller was just clearly not going to play, we would have played better. But we've got to, whatever you do, you've got to mark Boyd the whole game. Double team him if you have to. If you can cover him up, I think I think we'll get adequate pressure on their QB. Their O-line is okay. They've got the left side of their line is solid. They've got a five-star in Dorian Johnson playing guard. They got another four-star on the left tackle, but the right side's completely rebuilt. They're giving up three sacks a game, which is tied for 107th in the nation. They're giving up seven and a half tackles for loss, which is 115th in the nation. We can get to their quarterbacks. We can get their running backs in the backfield. It's all about the passing game. Holtz at tight end, as you mentioned, could be a problem. Boyd is obviously going to pose a huge problem for our secondary. But other than that, this is an offense we can neutralize. It really should be. The the X factor is, are they going to bring Wojtek in based on last year, based on what they saw last week? Bud's got to be prepared for that. There's no chance he would make... He said they weren't prepared for Summers last week. He came out and said that. There's no way he's going to take that chance with Wojtek, especially since Wojtek was the one that did it against us last year. So you know he can come in and he can play. Another point I wanted to hit was special teams. You got Boyd returning kicks. That's dangerous. Uh, That's a little bit frightening. And the the block punt that Pitt had against Iowa... Narduzzi, I think, has a little bit of uh, Beamer ball in him because they teach you how to get after the ball uh, for Pitt. So we got to be careful on special teams, which we have been really sound on. Yeah, I would hopefully say that we're going to be okay there. But you never know. I mean, we had the botch snap last week against ECU. Anything can go wrong at any time. I feel confident, though, that especially since we got our asses handed to us last week, the defense is going to come ready to play. We're going to make sure we've got their key playmakers locked down. And it's weird to say that I actually have more confidence 
in our offense going into this game than I do our defense. It's and even even though the pit defense is better than their offense, I our offense I'm not every concerned game about our offense whatsoever. It's weird to say that as a Virginia Tech fan, our offense has been able to produce every game. I don't think this defense is particularly better than the one we faced against ECU, and we scored twenty eight points and could have had more if it wasn't for so many stupid penalties. It's a question of whether we can slow down a running quarterback, which I guarantee they will play. At some point or another, Wojtek will be in the game, even if it's just to mess with our heads. They've named Peterman the starter. It doesn't matter. They're both going to play. Narduzzi already came out and he said, oh, maybe we should give uh, Wojtek some time. He's trying to screw with everybody's heads. We're, that's what we're going to be dealing with. I just don't know what to think about this game. I I know that we'll be motivated, and as I said earlier, because we lost to ECU, I like our chances just as a momentum thing uh, in that you just lose, you're going to play tougher the next game. Pitt's I, coming off a bye. I want everybody to actually go look at Iowa is a good team, and Iowa struggled with this Pitt team, and that James Conner was not in that game. This is the same team that played Iowa. Iowa is a really good team, a nice rushing offense that they have. They control the ball very well. They have a pretty solid defense, and Pitt came up close against them. And I think that we should keep that in mind, that this game is not a cakewalk. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I want to play devil's advocate real quick. They lost to Iowa. They were down the whole game. Their quarterback threw two picks early in the game, and they had to come back and in order to even make it close. And their two wins are Akron and Youngstown State. I think that's equal to Furman and Purdue. So I'm not going to say that Pitt is any great shakes. Yeah, they played Iowa tough, but Iowa's a middling Big Ten team. We lost to ECU, and we all watched it and know all the BS that took place. We're evenly matched. It's a question of we're at home. Execute. Forget the penalties. Let's let's put the ECU game behind us and let's just play the way Virginia Tech knows the way they can play. And let's win this game and go one and zero in the ACC. Pete, I think you are up on the beer time. It's pumpkin pumpkin time. I think. I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh I'm drinking the Pumpkin Ale, which I know sounds like a real original title, from Aleworks. It's a Williamsburg, Virginia brewery, and this is a refreshing pumpkin ale, I have to say. Hold on. Let me take another sip. Yeah. Very pumpkin-y, but not super sweet. It kind of just has a nice finish to it. I like this pumpkin ale. Like I said, it's Aleworks at a Williamsburg VA. Uh, which one are you trying now, Robbie? Right now, uh, I'm I'm mixing in between a couple of them. One is the the pumpkin ale, which you just referenced, and oh, the yes. other is uh, still among the uh, the spooky, which is the, the. It's hard to take down, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a little heavy and not that good. So we're gonna make our picks now, and I just wanted to do like a quick impression of my picks last week, and it was. These are Pete's shit picks of the week. I like UVA to win. I like BYU to beat Michigan. And I like both of the Arizona schools. Double. 
My picks were so bad. So freaking bad, man. I did get the Utah game. I think we both got the Texas Tech game. And I got the Syracuse covering against LSU, although it didn't come in the back door like I wanted it. <clears throat> but overall, my picks were just bad. So this week, since we have a full ACC slate in terms of just matchups within the ACC, we're pretty much going to pick ACC games from here on out for the rest of the season. That might prevent some of our embarrassment, but we were just talking about how these ACC games seem equally difficult to pick. They're more daunting than it would be if we just picked everything else. They're, they're, that's what the ACC does, is we just pair up teams that anybody can win on any week. So our game, Pitt at VT, the spread is four and a half, and we're the favorites. What do you think about that? What do, you, do you like us against the spread, or were you taking Pitt on the money line? What are you doing here, Robbie? After... My my strategy worked two weeks ago. It didn't work last week, so now I got to mix it up, and that's probably going to hopefully not backfire. I'm going to go VT to cover this. I'm going to go with Pitt, and maybe that's because I'm just going to switch it up because I've been picking VT to cover the last couple of weeks, but I really think this is going to be a tight game. It always seems to be a rock fight between us and Pitt, it could be 13-10. It could be 31-27. I, I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm going to take Pitt against the four-and-a-half spread. Let's move on. Miami at Cincinnati. Miami is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Cincinnati just played a barn burner versus Memphis. That was a big game, and Memphis is, what, undefeated right they're now? They're pretty good, yeah. They're they're playing really well, and Cincinnati lost that game. It was close. I still think Brad Kaya had them rolling after the Nebraska game. They're going to come in confident. You got a week's rest. They're on a bye, right? So I think they're going to do well this game. Maybe it's more I want them to win, as weird as it is to say, but I think they're going to cover the six and a half. I'm going the opposite way. I like Cincinnati. I like that they played a kind of a heartbreaking game and maybe they want to get back out there. It could go the opposite way too, but I like Cincinnati, their backup quarterback who came in for Gunner kill, who took a mean headshot threw for like 700 yards or something insane. Um, so I like Cincinnati against the second half spread. Next game is Louisville at NC state. This is a really interesting game. NC state's four and a half point favorites and they are undefeated. Louisville, as you know, has had a rough start to the season. Rough is uh, not really covering it. They had <laughs> losses to Auburn, Houston, Clemson. Not terrible and, teams. None of those are terrible their teams. Their win was over Samford. Okay. That wasn't Stanford, I said. It was Samford, just so we're clear. <laughs> they got on track with a winning with, with a win last week. Four and a half points, like I said, NC State's the favorite. I like Louisville. I like their defense, despite the fact they haven't played great this year. They gave Clemson just about all they could ask for. NC State hasn't really played anyone. Like It wouldn't shock me if Louisville won this game. I'm going to take them against the spread. NC State will probably get it at home, but I don't know. What do you think? I have NC State. Uh, it's a little partial that I want them to be, you know, kind of undefeated coming into Blacksburg. It's also the fact that every team that 
it feels like this season people have said they haven't played anybody has absolutely destroyed the next opponent that they've had like in a lot of ways. So uh, I'm going to give them, you know, in their games, they didn't play anybody big, but uh, I'm going to go with NC State. Next game is BC at Duke. Duke coming off the big win against Georgia Tech, which might end up helping us out in the coastal race if we decide we want to play the rest of the season. BC beat Northern Illinois, which I thought was actually a surprising win. I, I didn't necessarily think they were going to win that game. BC's got a very good defense. Duke is favored by six and a half. I like BC in this game. I, I think, think BC has the best defense bar none in the ACC right now. They are playing magnificent. They are a really solid defense. Duke's probably riding high off of the GT you know, upset. I think it's going to be at the end of the day, it's going to be BC that ends up taking this game. And if not, you know, they'll cover, you know, the, the six and a half. Yeah. I think it'll be tight. I think it'll be low scoring. It'll be tight game. UNC at Georgia tech, Georgia tech's a seven and a half point favorite. They have let me down two weeks in a row. I picked them to cover the spread and Georgia tech has not come through and through for me. But I don't really like UNC either. I don't know what to do with this game, especially at seven and a half. I'm gonna go with UNC. I'm gonna I I just don't really know. I'm kind of flipping a coin, but until GT proves to me they can cover a spread again, I'm going with UNC. George Tech's defense hasn't really been great. It's actually not been decent. UNC is going to make this a shootout, and in any shootout, I'm going to always take the underdog, and so I'm going to pick UNC to cover the seven and a half. I think they absolutely they will, and maybe GT still wins the game, but it's a field goal or or something along those lines. FSU at Wake Forest, not a great game, but Wake, well, you mean because it's it, almost a twenty point spread. <laughs> Wake has shown. A little something this year. I like Wake against the 19.5-point spread. Agreed. Uh, I like Wake. I agree. Uh, the underdogs have been eating it up this year. Every time we get a big spread, look back at all the games. I think, all, you know, go to Solid Verbal, whatever. They're, the stats on the underdogs this year are pretty lofty. So I'm going to go underdog here to cover the 19.5. Not you- that I believe in Wake Forest, just more... That's the way the trend's going, and that's a that's a lot of points. I and mean, you just don't go into Winston Salem and win by twenty points. You just don't go into the Carrier Dome when you're LSU, <laughs> and yeah, exactly. That's what we talked about that last week. And uh, I think Wake is going to get. I think they're going to keep it close. Uh, we'll see what happens. ND at Clemson, the Fighting Irish going to Clemson, South Carolina, the Pick'em. It's essentially a pick 'em. At first, it was uh, all you could find. Yeah, I saw Notre Dame was favorite at first, and now Clemson's a one point favorite. Who do you think is going to win the game? That's really what this is. I, I'm going to go with Clemson. Uh, and Notre Dame has kind of run the gauntlet already, but the injuries are. I think of it differently. If they didn't have all of these injuries, they would be a unanimous number one team in the country, right? Because you're losing a lot of key players through all these games. So I think of it a little bit opposite. How good would Notre Dame have been if they kept all of these players? 
Would they have been a unanimous number one? I don't think so. So I kind of work on the opposite way, and I say these have to be dinging them pretty significantly. They're finding ways to win, but finding ways to win. Look at TCU. TCU is running out of ways to win. Their offense is still making up for their defense. Their defense is abysmal. I didn't like the way Clemson looked against Louisville, although Louisville has a nice defense. This is a really tough game to pick. And I'm going to go with Notre Dame. I think they have shown a resolve despite all these injuries. And Deshaun Watson hasn't looked the all-ACC player that everyone pegged him to be. I think because we're in the ACC, I'm kind of rooting for Clemson. But I think Notre Dame is going to pull out this win. So that puts us at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, six. We disagree on. I know and that's one, unusual. The only one we agree on, just so everybody's clear, it's Wake, Wake Forest. Forest. <laughs> yeah. So we only picked ACC games, and we both like Wake to cover the twenty point spread. So naturally, that won't happen. I think that'll do it for picks. But are we doing college story time? I think you're I up think, on college think- story time. Man, I got I got boxed into this one. My college story time consists of a young gentleman that lived with us for the better part of when I came to Virginia Tech my sophomore year and lived with some roommates for the next three years up until my senior year. Let's call him Brandon. Brandon was a, a nice gentleman. He went to... I think it was called New River Community College nearby. He actually didn't go to school with us. He he was from our hometown and decided to make the trip to Virginia Tech and live in, uh, you know, our apartment, but not go to the same school. Brandon was not very good with uh, managing his life in general. Brandon got a dog and early on in his career at Virginia Tech that he used to walk around our apartment not with a leash because he never bought a leash, but it was a piece of speaker wire that we used to hook up the speakers in our apartment. And I'm to... sure Peter wouldn't be all of you for that. <laughs> yeah. So no, he never pulled it too tight, but he didn't want to go out to actually go to PetSmart or anything and buy a you know an actual leash. So he just used a piece of speaker wire to wash walk the dog around. His, his second incident when we knew things were really getting bad was when you would go into his room and he'd be just smoking cigarettes, leaning back in his chair, not going to class. But he'd change the channel, even though he had a remote right next to him with his, uh, like his, his toe, like his big toe, he would change the channel <laughs> back there. <laughs> and you would ask him, like, why don't you just do the remote? And he was like, well, I need some activity today. So... Those are a couple of the lead-ins to some of the most outrageous stories that I've had about Brandon. The last one I think that we'll do for today with two of the big ones coming up next uh, next time I do it, which wouldn't be this next episode, the one after that, which are classics, was when we were playing darts in the living room. Remember the dartboard that we used to have? I, I think you that. used to see that. And... Uh, he like stubbed his toe somehow on a dart, which I've never actually seen somebody do that because he was walking around barefoot and never wore shoes anywhere. And it got infected and he couldn't walk around on one foot. He would just hobble around on one foot for almost, I think it was almost three to four weeks. So 
Cheers to that gentleman. He was a classic. We let him sit on our couch for, I think, almost three years, and it was well worth it. Cheers to Brandone. I think I met him maybe once or twice, and he was an interesting gentleman, to say the least. I'm glad he got to experience tech, even though he was never technically a (laughs) student. A student. And I think that'll do it for the podcast for this week. Tune in next week. We're going to be doing our pit recap and our NC State preview and also giving you all the details on our on-site recording down in Blacksburg the weekend of the NC State game. We've got some guests potentially coming on, and it will be a lot of fun. So we'll give you all the details next week regarding the NC State recording down in Blacksburg. Remember to reach out to us on Twitter. We're at 2DeepVT. And on Gmail, it's 2DeepVT at gmail.com. And until then, go Hokies.